Prisoner of Azkaban by J.K. Rowling, read to you by Talon and illustrated by Jim K. Chapter 11, The Firebolt. Harry didn't have a very clear idea how he managed to get back into the Honeybeak cellar, through the tunnel and into the castle once more. All he knew was that the return trip seemed to take no time at all, and that he had hardly noticed what he was doing because all his head because his head was still pounding with the conversation he had just heard. Why had nobody ever told him? Dumbledore, Hagrid, Mr. Weasley, Cornelius, Fudge. Why hadn't anyone ever mentioned that the fact Harry's parents had died because of their best friend because their best friend had betrayed them? Ron and Hermione watched Harry nervously all through dinner, not daring to talk about what they what they'd overheard because Percy was sitting close to them. When they went upstairs to the crowded common room, it was to find Fred and George had set off half a dozen dung bombs in a fit in a fit of the end of term high spirits. Harry, who didn't want Fred and George asking him whether he reached Hogsmeade or not, sneaking quietly up to the empty dormitory and headed straight for the bedside for his bedside cabinet. He pushed his books aside and quickly found what he was looking for. A leather bound photo album. Hagrid Hagrid had given him two years ago, which was full of wizard pictures of his mother of his mother and father. He sat down on his bed, drew the hangings around him and stared, turning stared started turning the pages, searching until he stopped on a picture of his parents' wedding day. He stopped on a picture of his parents' wedding day. There was his father waving up at him, beaming the untidy black hair, the untidy black Harry Harry had inherited, standing in all directions. There was his mother, alight with happiness, arm in arm with his dad. And there, that must have been him, the best man. Harry had never given him a thought before. If he hadn't known it was the same person, he would have never guessed it was black in this old photograph. His face wasn't sunken and waxy, but handsome and full of laughter. He already Had he already been working for Voldemort when this picture had been taken? Was he really planning the deaths? Was he already planning the deaths of the two people next to him? Did he... Did he realize that he was facing 12 years in Azkaban? 12 years which would make him unrecognizable. But the adventurers don't affect him, Harry thought, staring into his handsome, laughing face. He doesn't hear my mom screaming if they get too close. Harry slammed the album shut, reached over and stuffed it back into his cabinet, took off his robes, took off his robes and glasses, and got into bed, making sure the hangings were hiding him from view. The dormitory door opened. Harry? said Ron's voice uncertainly. But Harry lay still, pretending not to pretending to be asleep. He heard Ron, he heard Ron leave again and rolled over on his back, his eyes wide open.
A hatred such as he had never known before was coursing through Harry like poison. He could see Black laughing at him through the darkness, as though somebody had pasted the picture from the album over his eyes. He watched as though some somebody was playing him a piece of film, Sirius Black blasting Peter Pettigrew, who resembled Neville Longbottom, into a thousand pieces. He could he, he could hear, though he had no idea what Black's voice might sound like, a low, excited mutter. It has happened, my lord. The Potters have made their made me their keeper. And then came another voice, laughing shrilly, as the same light, the same laugh that Harry heard inside his head whenever the Dementors drew near. Harry, you look terrible. Harry, you. You look terrible. Harry hadn't got to sleep until daybreak. He had woken to find the dormitory deserted, dressed and gone down the spiral staircase to the common room. That was completely empty except for Ron, who was eating a pepperant toad and massaging his stomach, and Hermione, who had spread her homework over three tables. Where is everyone? said Harry. Gone. It's the first day of holidays, remember? Ron, watching Harry closely. It's nearly lunchtime. I was going to come and wake you up in a minute. Harry slumped into a chair next to the fire. Snow was still falling outside the windows. Crookshanks was spread out in front of the fire like a large ginger rug. You really don't look well, you know, Hermione said, peering anxiously into his face. I'm fine, said Harry. Harry, listen. I'm fine, said Harry. Harry, listen, said Hermione, exchanging a look with Ron. You must be really upset about what you heard yesterday, but the thing is, you mustn't go and do anything stupid. Like what, said Harry. Like trying to go after Black said Ron sharply. Harry could tell that that they had rehearsed this conversation while he had been asleep. He didn't say anything. You won't, will you? You won't, will you, Harry? said Hermione. Because Black's not worth dying for, said Ron. Harry looked at him. They didn't seem to understand at all. Do you want to see and hear every time do you want to see and hear every time a Dementor gets too near to me? Ron and Hermione shook their heads, looking apprehensive. I can hear my mom scream screaming and pleading with Voldemort. And if you'd heard your mom screaming like that, just about to be killed, you wouldn't forget it in a hurry. And if you found out someone who's supposed to be a friend of, of hers betrayed her and sent Voldemort after her. There's nothing you can do, said Hermione, looking stricken. The mentors will catch Black. He will go back to Azkaban and, and serve him right. You heard what Fudge said. Black isn't affected by Azkaban like normal people are. 
It's not a punishment for him like it is for the others. So what are you saying, said Rowan, looking very tense. You want to... to kill Black or something? Don't be silly, said Hermione in a panicky tone. Harry doesn't want to kill anyone, do you, Harry? Again, Harry didn't answer. He didn't know what he wanted to do. All he knew was that the idea of doing nothing while Black was at liberty and almost more than he could stand. Malfoy knows, he said abruptly. Remember what he said to me in potions? If it was me, I'd hunt him down myself. I'd want revenge. You're going to take Malfoy's advice instead of ours, said Ron furiously. Listen. Listen, you know what Pettigrew's mother got back after Black finished with him? Dad told me the order, the order of Merlin first class and Pettigrew's finger in a box. That was the biggest bit of him they could find. Black's a madman, Harry, and he's dangerous. Malfoy's dad must have told him, said Harry, ignoring Ron, who was right in Voldemort's inner circle. Say you, say you know who, will you? Interjected Ron, angrily. Of course, the Malfoys knew Black was working for Voldemort, and Malfoy would love to see you and Malfoy would love to see you blown into a million pieces like Pe like Pettigrew. Get a grip. Malfoy's just hoping you'll get yourself killed before he has to play you at Quidditch. Harry, please, said Hermione, her eyes now shining with tears. Please be sensible. Black did a terrible, terrible thing. But don't, don't punish yourself in danger. That's what Black wants. Oh, Harry, you'd be, you'd be playing right into Black's hands. If you if you went looking for him, your mom and dad won't wouldn't want you to get hurt, would they? They'd never want you to go looking for Black. I'll never know what they'd have wanted because thanks to Black, I've never spoken to them. For the Harry Potter. There's a silence in which Crookshank stretched luxuri luxuriously, flexing his claws. Ron's pockets quivered. Look, said Ron, obviously casting around for a change of subject. It's the holidays. It's nearly Christmas. Let's let's go down and see Hagrid. We haven't visited we haven't visited him for ages. No, said Hermione quickly. Harry isn't supposed to leave the castle, Ron. Yeah, let's go, said Harry, sitting up. And I can ask him how come he never mentioned Black when he told me all about my parents. Further discussion of Sirius Black plainly wasn't what Ron had in mind. Or we could have a game of chess, he said hastily, or gobstones. Percy left the set. No, let's visit Hagrid, said Harry firmly. So they got their cloaks from the dormitories and set off from their dormitories and set off through the portrait hole. Stand and fight, you yellow-bellied mongrels! Down through the empty castle and and out through the oak front doors. They made their way slowly down the lawn, making a shallow trench in the glittering powdery snow. 
their socks and hems of their cloaks soaked and freezing. The forbidden forest looked as though it had been enchanted. Each tree smattered with silver, and Hagrid's cabin looked like an iced cake. Ron knocked, but there was no answer. He's not out, is he? said Hermione, who was shivering under her cloak. Ron had his ear to the door. There's a weird noise, he said. Listen, is that fangs? Harry and Hermione put their ears to the door, too. From inside the cabin came a series of low, throbbing moans. I think we'd better go and get someone, said Ron nervously. Hagrid? Harry called, thumping the door. Hagrid, are you in there? There was a sound of heavy footsteps. Then the door creaked open. Crack creaked open. Hagrid stood there, his eyes red and swollen, tears splashing down the front of his leather waistcoat. You've heard, he bellowed and swung himself into Harry's in, onto Harry's neck. Hagrid, being at least twice the size of a normal man, was no laughing. This was no laughing matter. Harry, about to collapse under Hagrid's weight, weight was rescued by Ron and Hermione, who each seized Hagrid's underarm and heaved him. Harry, helping back, helping back into, into the cabin. Hagrid allowed himself to be seared into a chair and slumped over the table, sobbing uncontrollably, his face glazed with tears which dripped down into his tingled beard. Hagrid, what is it? said Hermione, aghast. Harry spotted an official-looking letter lying open on the table. What's this, Hagrid? Hagrid's sobs redoubled, and he showed the shoved the letter towards Harry, who picked it up and read aloud. Dear Mr. Hagrid, Further to our inquiry into the attack by a hippogriff on the students in your class, we have accepted the assurances of Professor Dumbledore that you bear no responsibility for the regrettable incident. Well, that's okay then, Hagrid, said Ron, clapping Hagrid on the shoulder. Hagrid continued to sob and waved one of his gigantic hands, inviting Harry to read on. However, we must register our concern about the hippogriff in question. We have decided to uphold the official complaint of Lucius Malfoy, and this matter will therefore be taken to the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. The hearing will take place on April 20th. And we ask you to present yourself and your hippogriff at the committee's offices in London on that date. In the meantime, the hippogriff should be kept tethered and isolated. Yours in fellowship. There followed a list of school governors. Oh, said Ron. But you said Buckbeak isn't a bad hippogriff, Hagrid. But you said Buckbeak isn't a bad, bad hippogriff, Hagrid. I bet he will. I bet he will get off. Yeah, don't you don't know them gargoyles at the at the committee for disposable of dangerous creatures? Choked Hagrid, wiping his eyes on his sleeve. They've got they've got it in for interesting creatures. The sudden sound from the corner of Hagrid's cabin made Harry, Ron, and Hermione whip around. Buckbeak the Hippogriff was lying in the corner, 
chomping on something. Chomping on something that was oozing blood all over the floor. I couldn't leave him tied up out there in the snow, Phil Taggart, all on his own. At Christmas, Harry, Ron, and Hermione looked at each other. They had never seen eye to eye with Hagrid about what he called interesting creatures and other people called terrifying monsters. On the other hand, there didn't seem to be a particular harm in Buckbeak. In fact, Hagrid's usual standards by Hagrid's usual standards, he was pretty, he was positively cute. looked at each other. They had never seen eye to eye with Hagrid about what he called interesting creatures and other people called terrifying monsters. On the other hand, there didn't seem to be any particular harm in Buckbeak. In fact, by Hagrid's usual standards, he was positively cute. You have to put, put up a good strong defense, Hagrid, said Hermione, sitting down and laying a hand on Hagrid's massive forearm. I'm sure you can prove Buckbeak is safe. Won't make no difference, sobbed Hagrid. Them disposal devils, them disposal devils, they're all in Lucius Malfoy's pocket. Scare them. And if I lose the case, Buckbeak. Hagrid drew his finger swiftly across his throat and gave a great wail and lurched forwards, his face in his arms. What about Dumbledore, Hagrid? said Harry. He's done more than enough for me already, groaned Hagrid. Got enough on his plate, what, keeping them Dementors out of the castle? And Sirius Black lurking around and... Ron and Hermione looked quickly at Harry, as though expecting him to start about Black, but Harry couldn't bring himself to do it. Not now, he saw Hagrid was so miserable and seared. Listen, Hagrid, he said. You can't give up. Hermione's right. You just need a good defense. You can call you can call us as witnesses. I'm sure I've read about a case of hippogriff baiting, said Hermione thoughtfully. Where the hippogriff got off. I'll look it up for you, Hagrid. And see exactly what happened. Hagrid howled still more loudly. Harry and Hermione looked at Ron to help them. Uh, sh shall I make a cup of tea? said Ron. Harry stared at him. That's what my mom does whenever someone's upset, Ron, Ron muttered, shrugging. At last, after many more assur assurances of help, with a steaming mug of tea in front of them, Hagrid blew his nose on his, han on his handkerchief and seized the table, the size of a tablecloth, and said, You're right, I can't afford... 
to grow to pieces, gotta pull me self together. Fang the Boarhound came timidly out from under the table and laid its head on Hadid's knee. I've not been myself lately, said Haggard, stroking Fang with one hand and mopping his face with the other. Worried about Buckbeak. Ain't no one liking me classes. We do like them. We do like them, lied Hermione at once. Yeah, they're great, said Ron, crossing his fingers under the table. Uh, how are the flabberworms? Dead, said Hagrid gloomily. Too much lettuce. Oh, no, said Ron, his lip twitching. And them Dementors make me feel ready terrible and all, said Hagrid with a sudden shudder. Gotta walk past them every time I want to want to drink in the three room six it's like being back in azkaban he fell silent gulping his tea harry and Ro harry ron and hermione watched him breathlessly they had never heard hagrid talk about his his brief spell in azkaban before after a brief pause hermione said timidly is it awful in there hagrid you have no idea, said Hagrid quietly. Never been anywhere like it. Thought I was going going mad. Keep going over horrible stuff in me mind. The day I got expelled from Hogwarts. The day me dad died. The day I had to let Norbert go. His eyes filled with tears. Norbert was a baby dragon Hagrid had once won at a game of cards. You can't really remember remember her, who you are after a while, and you can see the point. Can't see the point at living at, of living at all. I used to hope I'd just die in me sleep. When they when they let me out, it was like being born again. Everything came flooding back. It was the best feeling in the world. Mind mind that mentors weren't keen on letting me go. But you were innocent, said Hermione. Hagrid snorted. Think that matters to them? They don't care. Long as they've got a couple of hundred humans stuck there with them. So they can leech all the happiness out of them. They don't give a damn who's guilty and who's not. I'm going to take a little break here. we are back. Hagrid went quiet for a moment, staring into his tea. Then he said quietly, thought of just letting Buckbeak go, trying to make him fly away. But how do you explain to a hippogriff it's got to go into hiding? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm scared of breaking the law. He looked up at them, tears leaking down his face again. Tears leaking down his face again. I don't ever want to go back to Azkaban. The trip to Hagrid's, though, far from fun, had nevertheless had an effect on Ron and Hermione, had the effect Ron and Hermione had hoped. Harry had no means forgotten about Black. He couldn't brood constantly on revenge if he wanted. 
He couldn't brood constantly on revenge if he wanted to help Hagrid with his case against the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. He, Ron, and Hermione went to the empty common room laden with books, which might help prepare a defense for Buckbeak. The three of them sat in front of the roaring fire, slowly turning the pages of the dusty volumes about famous cases of marauding beasts, speaking occasionally when they ran across something revelant. Here's something. There was a case in 1722, but the hippogriff was convicted. Ugh. Look like, look what they did to it. Look at what they did to it. That's disgusting. This might help. Look, a manticore savaged someone in twelve in twelve ninety six, and they let the manticore off. Oh no, that was only because everyone was too scared to go near it. Meanwhile, in the rest of the castle, the usual magnificent Christmas decorations had been put up, despite the fact that hardly any any of the students remained to enjoy them. Thick streamers of holly and mistletoe were strung along the corridors. Mysterious lights shone from inside every suit of armor. And the great hall was filled with its usual twelve Christmas trees, glittering with golden stars. A powerful and delicious smell of cooking pervaded the corridors. And by Christmas Eve, it had grown so strong that even Scabbers poked his nose out of the shelter of Ron's pocket to snip to sniff, hopefully, at the air. On Christmas morning, Harry was woken by Ron, throwing his pillow at him. Oi! Presents! Harry reached for his glasses and put them on, squinting through the semi-darkness at the foot of his bed, where a small heap of parcels had appeared. Ron was already ripping the paper off his own presents, Another jumper for Mum. Maroon again. See if you've got one. Harry had Mrs. Weasley. Harry had. Mrs. Weasley had sent him a scarlet jumper with the Gryffindor lion knitted on the front. Also, a dozen home baked mince pies, some Christmas cake, and a box of nut brittle. As he moved all these things aside, he saw a long, thin package lying underneath. What's that? said Ron, looking over a freshly unwrapped pair of maroon socks in his hand. Don't know. Harry ripped the par parcel open and gasped. A magnificent, gleaming broomstick rolled out onto his bedspread. Ron dropped his socks and jumped off his bed for a closer look. I don't believe it, he said hoarsely. It, it was a firebolt identical to the dream broom Harry had gone to see every day in Diagon Alley. Its handle glittered as he picked it up. He could feel it vibrating. He could feel it vibrating and let go. It hung in midair, unsupported at exactly the right height for him to mount it. His eyes moved from the golden registration number at the top of the handle right down to the perfectly smooth, streamlined birch twigs. That made up the tale. Who sent it to you? said Ron in a hushed voice. Look and see if there's a card, said Harry. Ron ripped apart the file the firebolt's wrappings. Nothing. Blimey, who sent that who spent that much on you? Well, said Harry, 
said Harry, feeling very stunned. I'm betting it wasn't the Dursleys. I bet it was Dumbledore, said Ron, now walking around and round the firebolt. <clears throat> taking in glorious inch. Taking in every glorious inch. He sent you the invisibility cloak anonymously. <clears throat> that was my dad's, though, said Harry. Dumbledore was this was just passing it on to me. He wouldn't spend hundreds of galleons on me. He can't go giving he can't go giving students stuff like this. That's why he wouldn't say it was from him, said Ron. In case of some in case some get like Malfoy said it was favoritism. Hey Harry, said Ron. Ron said You heard Hey Harry. Ron gave a great whoop of laughter. Malfoy, wait till he sees you on this. He'll be sick as a pig. This is the international standard broom this is. This is the international standard broom this is. I can't believe this, Harry muttered, running his hand along the firebolt, while Ron sank into Harry's bed, laughing his head off at the thought of Malfoy. Who? I know, said Ron, controlling himself. I know who could have been. Lupin. What? said Harry, now starting to laugh himself. Starting to laugh himself. Lupin? Listen, if he had this much gold, he'd be able to buy himself new robes. Yeah, but he likes you, said Ron. He was away when your Nimbus got smashed, and he might have heard about it, and decided to visit Diagon Alley and get this for you. What do you mean he was away, said Harry? He was ill when, when I was playing in that match. He wasn't in the hospital wing, said Ron. I was there, cleaning out the bedpans on distension from Snape, remember? Harry frowned at Ron. I can't see Lupin afforded, affording something like this. What are you two laughing about? Hermione had just come in, wearing her dressing gown and carrying Crookshanks, who was looking very grumpy, with a string of tinsel tied around his neck. Don't bring him in here, said Ron, hurriedly snatching scabbers from the depths of his bed and stowing him in his pajama in his pajama pocket. But Hermione wasn't listening. She dropped Crookshanks onto Seamus's empty bed and stared open-mouthed at the firebolt. Oh, Harry, who sent you that? No idea, said Harry. There wasn't a card or anything with it. With great surprise, Hermione did not appear either excited or intrigued by this news. On the contrary, her face fell, and she bit her lip. What's the matter with you? said Ron. It's a bit odd, isn't it? What? What's the matter with you? said Ron. Said Ron. I don't know, said Hermione slowly. But it is a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, this is supposed to be quite a good broom, isn't it? Ron sighed exasperatedly. This is the best room there is, Hermione, he said. So it must have been very expensive. Probably cost more than the Slytherin's broom put together, said Ron happily. Well, who'd send Harry something as expensive as, as that, and not even tell him they, they'd sent it, said Hermione. Who cares, said Ron impatiently. Listen, can Harry, Harry can I have a go, go on it? Can I? I don't think anyone should write on that broom just yet, said Hermione shrilly. Harry and Ron looked at her. 
What do you think Harry's going to do with it? Sweep the floor? said Ron. But before Hermione could answer, Crookshank sprang from Seamus' bed and right at Ron's chest. Get him out of here, said Ron bellowed as Crookshanks clawed and ripped his pajamas and Scabbers attempted a wild escape over his shoulder. Ron seized Scabbers by the tail and aimed a misjudged kick at Crookshanks, which hit the trunk at the end of Harry's bed, knocking it over and causing Ron to hop on the spot, howling with pain. Crookshank's fur suddenly stood on end. A shrill, tiny whistling was filled in the room. Was filling the room. The pocket snakescope had become dis dislodged from Uncle Vernon's old socks and was whirling and gleaming on the floor. I forgot about that," said Harry. "said bending down and picking up the snakescope. I never wear those socks if I can help it." The snakescope whirled and whistled in his palm. Crookshanks was hissing and spitting at it. You better take that cat out of here, Hermione, said Ron furiously. He was sitting on Harry's bed, nursing his toe. Can't you shut that thing up? Can't you shut that thing up? He shouted, he added to Harry, as Hermione strode out of the room. Crookshanks' yellow eyes still fixed maliciously on Ron. Harry stuffed the snakescope back inside the socks and threw it back into his trunk. All that could be heard now was Ron's was Ron's stifled, stifled moans of pain and rage. Scabbers was huddled in Ron's hands. It had been a while since Harry had seen him out of Ron's pocket, and he was unpleasantly surprised to see the Scabbers once fat once fat, was now very skinny. Patches of fur seemed to have fallen out, too. He's not looking too good, is he? Harry had said. Harry said. It's stress, said Ron. He'd be fine if that stupid grape fur ball left him alone. But Harry, remembering what the woman in the magical menagerie had said about rats only living three years, couldn't help feeling that unless Scabbers had powers that he never revealed, he was reaching the end of his life. And despite Ron's frequent complaints about Scabbers, it was both boring and useless. He was sure Ron would be very miserable if Scabbers died. Christmas spirit was definitely thin on the, on the grounds, on the ground in Hogwarts common room that morning. Hermione had shut Crookshanks in her dormitory but was furious with Ron for trying to kick him. Ron was still fuming about Crookshanks', Crookshanks fresh attempt to eat Scabbers. Harry gave up trying to make him talk to each other and devoted himself to examining the firebolt, which he had brought down to the common room with him. For some reason, this seemed to annoy Hermione as well. She didn't say anything, but she kept looking darkly at the broom as though it, too, had been criticizing her cat. At, at lunchtime, they went down to the Great Hall to find that the, find that the house tables had been moved again, and the walls again. That the tables had been moved again against the walls, and that a single table, set for twelve, stood in the middle of the room. Professor Dumbledore, McGonagall, Snape, Sprout, Flitwick, and Flitwick were there, along with Filch and the caretaker, who had taken off his usual brown coat and was wearing a rather moldy looking tail coat. 
There were only three other students, two extremely nervous-looking first-years and a sullen-faced Slytherin fifth-year. Merry Christmas, said Dumbledore as Harry, Ron, and Hermione approached the table. As there are so few of us, it seems it seemed foolish to use the house tables. Sit down, sit down. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat down, sat down side by side at the end of the table. Crackers, said Dumbledore enthusiastically. Crackers, said Dumbledore enthusiastically, offering the end of a large... What? Offering the end of a large silver one to Snape. What? What? Crackers? What? What in the world? Crackers? Maybe he means like firecrackers? I don't know. Crackers? Said Dumbledore, enthusiastic. Crackers! Wait, ah, how do I say this? Crackers, said Dumbledore enthusiastically, offering the end, offering a large, offering the end of a large silver one to Snape, who took it reluctantly and tug. With a bang like a gunshot, the cracker flew apart to reveal, to reveal a large pointed witch's hat, topped with a stuffed vulture. Oh, yeah, he meant firecrackers. <laughs> Harry, remembering the bogart, caught Ron's eye, and they both grinned. Snape's mouth thinned and pushed the hat towards Dumbledore, who swapped it, at, swapped it for his wizard's hat at once. Tuck in, he advised the table, beaming, beaming around. As Harry was helping himself to roast potatoes, the doors in, of the great hall opened again. It was Professor Trelawney, gliding towards them as though on wheels. She had put on a green sequined dress in honor of the occasion, making her look more than ever like a glittering oversized dragonfly. And I'm going to take another break here. And we are back. And I promise you, this is the last break. Sybil, this is a pleasant surprise, said Dumbledore, standing up. I have been crystal-gazing, headmaster, said Professor Trelawney in her mistiest, most faraway voice. And to my astonishment, I saw myself abandoning my solitary luncheon and coming to join you. Who am I to refuse the promptings of fate? I at once hastened from my tower, and I do beg you to forgive my late. Certainly, certainly, said Dumbledore, his eyes twinkling. Let me draw you up a chair. And he did indeed draw a chair in midair with his wand, which revolved for a few seconds before falling with a thud between Professor Snape and McGonagall. Professor Trelawney, however, did not sit down. Her enormous eyes had been roving all had been roving around the table. And she suddenly uttered a kind of soft, soft scream. I dare not, Headmaster. If I join the table, we shall be thirteen. Nothing could be more unlucky. Never forget that when thirteen dine together, the 
first the first to rise will be the first to die. We'll risk it, Sybil. Whoa. We'll risk it, Sybil. The Professor Trelawney and pa not Professor Trelawney. Professor McGonagall impatiently. Do sit down. The turkey's getting stone cold. Professor Trelawney hesitated, then lowered herself into the empty chair. Eyes shut and mouth clenched tight, as though expecting a thunderbolt to hit the table. <sighs> Professor McGonagall poked a large spoon into the nearest tureen. Tripe, Sybil? Professor Trelawney ignored her. Eyes open again. She looked around more. She looked around once more and said, But where is dear Professor Lupin? I'm afraid the poor fellow is ill again, said Dumbledore, indicating that everybody should start serving themselves. Themselves. Most unfortunate that it should happen on Christmas, on Christmas Day. But surely you already knew that, Sybil," said Professor McGonagall. Her eyebrows wet, her eyebrows raised. Professor Trelawney gave Professor McGonagall a very cold look. Certainly, I knew Professor. Certainly, I knew Minivera," she said quietly. But one does not parade the fact that one is all knowing. I frequently act as though I am not. I am not possessed of the inner eye, so as not to make others nervous. That explains a great deal, said Professor McGonagall tartly. Professor Trelawney's voice suddenly became a good, a good deal less missy, less, uh, a good deal less misty. If you must know, Minivera, I've been... I have seen that poor Professor Lupin will not be with us for very long. He seems aware himself that his that his time is short, and he positively fled when I offered to crystal when I offered to crystal gaze for him. Imagine that," said Professor McGonagall dryly. "I doubt that Professor Dumbledore," said Professor Dumbledore in a cheery but slightly raised voice. Which put an end to Professor McGonagall. That pr Professor McGonagall and tr Professor Trelawney's conversations. That put an end to Professor McGonagall and Professor Trelawney's conversations. That Professor Lupin is in. I doubt. Said them. Ugh, I already read that part. Okay. That Professor Lupin is in any immediate danger. Severus, you made the potion for him again. Yes, headmaster, said Snape. Good, said Dumbledore. Then he should be up and about in no time. Derek, have you had any of those ch chipolatas? They're excellent. The first year boy went furiously red on being addressed directly by Dumbledore and took a platter of sausages with trembling hands. Professor Trelawney behaved almost normally, until the very end of Christmas dinner, two hours later. Full to bursting with Christmas dinner, and still wearing their cracker hats, 
Harry, Ron, Harry and Ron got up first from the table, and she shrieked loudly. My dears, which one of you left his... My dears, which one left... Which of you left his seat first? Louder. Which of you left his seat first? Which? No, no, said Ron, looking uneasily at Harry. I doubt it'll make much a difference, said Professor McGonagall. Said Professor McGonagall coldly, unless a mad ex man is waiting outside the doors to slaughter the first into the entrance hall. Even Ron laughed. Even Ron laughed. Professor Trelawney looked highly affronted. Coming, said Harry to Hermione. No, Hermione muttered. I want a quick word with Professor McGonagall. Probably trying to see if she can take any more classes, yawned Ron as they made their way into the entrance hall, which was completely devoted, devoid of a mad axe man. When they reached the portrait hole, they found Sir Cadogan enjoying a Christmas party with a couple of monks, several previous headmasters of Hogwarts, and his fat pony. In his fat pony. He pushed up his visor and, to and toasted them. With a flagon of mead. Merry Christmas. Password? Scurvy cur, said Ron. Said Ron. And the same to you, sir, roared Sir Cadogan, as the painting swung forward to admit them. Harry went straight up to the dormitory, collected his firebolt and the broomstick servicing kit Hermione had given him for his birthday. Brought them downstairs and tried to find something to do with the to do to do to the firebolt. However, there was no bent twigs to clip, and the handle was so shiny already that it seemed pointless to polish it. He and Ron simply sat admiringly sat simply sat admiring admiring it from every angle until the portrait hole opened and Hermione came in. Accompanied by Professor McGonagall. Though, per though Professor McGonagall was head of Gryffindor House, Harry had only seen her in the common room once before, and that had been to make a very grave announcement. He and Ron stared at her, both holding the firebolt. Hermione walked around them, sat down, picked up the nearest book, and hid her face behind it. So that's it, is it? said Professor McGonagall beadily as she walked over to the fireside and staring at the firebolt. Miss Granger has just informed me that you have been sent a broomstick, Potter. Harry and Ron looked around at Hermione. They could see her forehead reddening over the top of her book, which was upside down. May I? said Professor McGonagall. But she didn't wait for an answer before pulling the firebolt out of their hands. She examined it carefully from handle to twig ends. Hmm. And there was no, and there was no, and there's no note at all, Potter. No card, no message of any kind. No, said Harry blankly. I see, said Professor McGonagall. Well, I'm afraid I will have to take this, Potter. Well, what? said Harry, scrambling to his feet. Why? I need to be, it needs to be checked. 
It will need to be checked for jinxes, said Professor McGonagall. Of course, I, I'm no expert, but I dare say Madam Hooch and Professor Flitwick will strip it down. Strip it down, repeating, said Ron, repeated Ron, as though, Profe as though Professor McGonagall was mad. It shouldn't take more than a few weeks, said Professor McGonagall. You'll have it back when, if we are sure it is jinx-free. There's nothing wrong with it, said Harry, his voice shaking slightly. Honestly, Professor. You can't know that, Potter, said Professor McGonagall quite kindly. Until you've flown it. At any rate, I'm. At any rate. At any rate, I'm afraid that this is out of the question. Until we are certain that it is not that it has not been tampered with, I shall keep you informed. Professor McGonagall turned on her heel and carried Firebolt out of the portrait hole, which closed behind her. Harry stood staring after her. The tin of high-finished polish was still clutched in his hands. Ron, however, rounded on Hermione. What did you go running? What did you go running to McGonagall for? Hermione threw her book aside. She was still pink in the face, but stood up and faced Ron definitely. Because I thought, and Professor McGonagall agrees with me, that the broom was probably sent to Harry by Sirius Black. This has been the Very Hairy Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye.